0: And sisters in Christ it's a, it's a pleasure a pleasure to be here, um, especially in the midst of family and friends who have um, grown up with me. all right it's too early to be emotional in the sermon. Um, the Scottish theologian John Knox, he said this he said, "I have never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I walk into the pulpit. And I think I can relate to that a little bit right now, um, not just because we are dealing with, with such a, a lofty text, but just the, the nature of the of the exercise. Um, it's, it's humbling, and uh, I, I feel unworthy in many ways to, to be here. Um, but the Lord is gracious, as we will see in this text. So please turn with me to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, to verse 21. This is the word of God. Please listen with reverent care. For this reason, I bow my knees To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray for God's help. Dear God, as we open your word this afternoon, we see that it's a marvelous word, a wonderful word, a lofty, a lofty text. And we know that without the illumination of your Holy Spirit, we will not understand a single word. So we pray for his help even now um, and help these words to, to mean something to us and to sink in um, so that we may, we may know something of this immeasurable love. And we, we thank you for um, the privilege of, of hearing you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every human being in this life wrestles with a sense of emptiness. All of us live with this sense of emptiness within our hearts. Some of us feel it more, more sharply, more acutely than others. Um, some, of, some of us perhaps, some of you, On some nights, you would lay awake in bed, staring at the ceiling, wondering about the meaning of life, feeling this this feeling of emptiness in your hearts. And maybe some some others of you might not feel as as sharply. You might not um, lie awake at night staring at the ceiling. But I can say for sure that all of us live out of this sense of emptiness, And we are always seeking to take whatever things we can find in this life to fill that void in our hearts. And this is a problem. This is a timeless problem that all of humanity faces. It's the source of idolatry. This is why we turn to things that are not God and make them gods. But how do we deal with this emptiness? This emptiness that never seems to have an end no matter what we put in it. The writer of Ecclesiastes, he says this, he says, he that loves silver will not be satisfied by silver. Isn't that interesting? Someone who loves silver, who goes and, and even if he hoards a bunch of silver, he will not be satisfied. That is the nature of the human heart. It's a bottomless pit. So how do we deal with this problem? Well, this text today, the text that is before us, answers this question for us. But before we jump right into the text, uh, we should look at the context a little bit. And a good place to start, I think, would be the Book of Romans. Um, so the Book of Ephesians and the Book of Romans are, are very similar. Um, unlike many of Paul's other letters, um, which deal with a particular spiritual crisis, the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians, they don't really deal with any, any particular spiritual crisis. They're more like a, a summation, a summary of Paul's teachings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so um, in these two letters, we have very majestic grand doctrine and the structures are very similar between these two books as well. And this is, this is to help you appreciate a little bit the, the placement and the function of this text, right? And so the book of Romans, you can separate into two parts. You have chapter one through 11, um, commonly known as the, the doctrinal section, right? So to speak where Paul explains justification by faith and, and so forth. And then from chapters 12 onwards in, in Romans, you have the, the practical section where Paul tells you how to live. And at the end of this first doctrinal section, chapters one through 11, um, towards the end, Paul talks about the inclusion of the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles are, are grafted in to the vine of Israel and they become part of the true Israel, Paul says. And then Paul ends with a doxology, so that's Romans. What do we have here in the Ephesians? We have a very similar thing. We have chapters 1 through 3, the doctrinal section. And then we have chapters 4 through 6, the practical section, where Paul teaches us where to live. And similarly, towards the end of the first section, we have Paul talking about the inclusion of the Gentiles. So this is presumably. Um, the text from from last week, right, from last Sunday, the beginning of chapter three, where Paul talks about the mystery revealed that the Gentiles are included. And then Paul ends with the doxology here in this section. Very similar, very, very fascinating. And so if we envision the book of Ephesians as sort of a, a mountain, right, we have a, a a building up of the doctrine and then resolving it into practice into into uh into real life so to speak it seems like we are at the tip of the mountain here right this is a sort of a climax the conclusion of the first section so that's the that's the context so let's look at this text together um Now this text is divided into two parts, as we can see. So the first part is from from verse 14 to verse 19. And here Paul offers up a prayer, a prayer. And then the second part is the rest of this chapter, verse 20 and 21 and that. And there Paul offers up a praise. So these are the two parts and also the two points of the sermon today. Paul offers up a prayer and a praise, a prayer and the praise. So what does Paul pray about? What is it that Paul prays about? Well, to to get right to the the bottom of it, to the heart of it, Paul prays about love. Paul prays about love. Now, we as human beings, we are crazy about love. We are obsessed with love. 90% of songs that are put out today are, are about love. Um, And so it's fitting that, that Paul addresses it here. But Paul, as you see in this prayer, he is not praying that God would love his people. That's an important thing to notice here in this prayer. God is not praying, Lord, this is a sinful people. Please love them. That's not the prayer, even though it is about God's love. What does he pray? Well, he prays that the people, the church, would know God's love. And this is a very important thing to, to catch a hold of. Because often, often we think, perhaps from the other perspective, that we need to, in our prayers, almost beg for God's love, like He is a, a stingy God. And because we're so wicked, He doesn't want anything to do with us, And we have to sort of get Him. We have to sort of coax Him to act towards us. In love. But that is not what we see here in this prayer. What we see here is that that love is there. That love is there. And what Paul prays for is that they may know. That we may know. We see this in in verse 18. May have strength to comprehend. And then verse 19. And to know the love of Christ. The love is there. And we, we have to know it. We have to know it. Now, how many of you growing up have ever thought to yourself, my parents don't love me, or my parents don't care about me? Um, Probably a good number of you, right? Some of you might have even said it to their face, right? And however, how many of you, as you grew up, you realized that your parents actually did love you, okay, and that you just didn't understand their way of showing it. Now, your parents are are sinful, selfish beings. And still, you understand at some point that there was a love there, that there was a love that they had towards you. How much more, how much more our gracious and selfless father has love for us? And so Paul prays for this knowledge, right? He, Paul, Paul prays that the, the church, the Ephesian church, would have this knowledge of God's love towards them. And now we might say, well, why does he have to pray for this, right? And in fact, we see that he prays very earnestly for it. In the first, um, in the first verse of our text, verse 14, he says, I bow my knees, I bow my knees. He he doesn't just say, I pray, right? I pray before the Father. Like there is something vivid and intense about this prayer. I bow my knee before the Father. Why does he pray this earnestly for the people of God to know God's love? Isn't it fairly easy to know God's love? Just just know it. Just, Just believe that God loves you. It's not hard. Just believe that God loves you. Well, it's not that simple as we see in this prayer, right? Um, as, as Pastor Micah mentioned in his, his very kind and thorough introduction, I have a 10-month son named Levi. Uh, he, he's adorable. He's the best. And he, I'm sure that he knows that I love him. He knows that I love him. But on the other hand, at the same time, he has no idea. <laughs> He has no idea, right? He he presumes my love, but there are so many things about my love for him as a father that he cannot even begin to understand. Again, I am a sinful, selfish person. And here we are talking about God. We are talking about God and he cannot begin to understand Which is why, which is why when Paul prays for this knowledge of God's love, he doesn't pray directly for this knowledge. What exactly does he pray for? Look at this text. He prays for power. He prays for power. He prays for strength. Uh, Beginning in verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, may have strength. We need power to, to know God's love, have you ever thought of that? We need to have strength just to be able to know God's love. And why is that? Why is it that we need the power to understand God's love? Well. Paul goes on to show us in this prayer may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So why is it that we need power? It's because it's impossible, humanly speaking, because God's love is so great, it's immeasurable, it's incomprehensible. And Paul says here, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? What is it? He doesn't even answer this question. What is the breadth and length and height and depth? Well, as we read just now earlier in the liturgy, we looked at Psalm 103. And what does it say there about the height of God's love? God's steadfast covenant love. It says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love towards us as high as the heavens. But you say, well, that can't be, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such a sinful person and God is a holy God. How can he have this much love for me? Well, also in Psalm 103, what does God do with our sins? As far as East is removed from West, God removes our transgressions from us. The height, the depth, the breadth, and the length that is the measure of it and so when paul says here to comprehend of course by this we we know what means to understand but literally the word in the original greek has this idea of grasping of seizing even embracing or encircling like you're trying to put your arms around something how can you put your arms around something or figuratively speaking the arms of your mind how do you put it around something that's as high as the heavens is above the earth, as far as east is from west. We can't do it. We can't do it, humanly speaking. And that's why we need power. We need strength. Similarly, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now that's an interesting thing to say, knowing something that is beyond knowledge That is is what we need here, right? To know the love of God. But the love of God surpasses knowledge. How do we achieve that? We need power. We need strength. And that's why Paul prays so earnestly for it, bowing his knees before the Father. And why what what is the goal of all this knowing? What is the goal of this being strengthened? To know the love of God. And we see this at, at the very end of verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, so far, we've seen that Paul prays for, um, prays for knowledge of God's love, he prays for the power to know God's love. And then the goal of it, the goal of all this, which is to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the, that's the end goal of knowing God's love. Now there's an interesting translation issue with, with, with verse 19 when it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's not that easy to translate. This is probably the way to translate it that makes the most sense. But if you wanna translate it more literally, it's that you may be filled into The fullness of God which visually might not make sense to us right how how are you filled into something and it might be this usually we think of knowledge we think of learning something of knowing something as if we're like taking a mug and we're pouring water into the mug that's filling the mug that is not the picture here the picture here is more like you are taking the mug and you are throwing it into the ocean. And certainly the mug is full when you throw it into the ocean, but it's more than that. The mug is filled into the fullness of the ocean. And that is the goal here, because as we said earlier, we all struggle with this sense of emptiness and we all try to fill it in different ways, don't we? We try to fill it with, with, with work, with, uh, with all sorts of things that we long for, for with, with family, with friends, with hobbies, with interests, addictions. And you know this in your own lives. We act from the sense of emptiness because we seek fullness. We seek fullness, all of us. And so what a comforting text we have before us today. Where do we find this fullness? Where do we find this fullness? We are always seeking and never finding. Here it is. Here it is, brothers and sisters. Here is where you are filled. Jesus in John 7, he he stands up at the festival and he says, come to me, all you who thirst. And I will give you living water. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the one whose love can satisfy this emptiness that is within us. Filled into all the fullness of God. And so Paul, having prayed this prayer, he now goes on into a praise in the second part, into the doxology, beginning in verse 20. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. First of all, I I would like you to notice the, the superlative nature, just the intense nature of how Paul describes God here. He doesn't just say that God is the one who is able to do what we ask, right? And that would make sense following his prayer. Now to to God who is able to do what I just asked for you, be glory. He doesn't just say that. He says to him who who is able to do what we ask or think, even before we ask it, right? Ask or think. And he doesn't just say that that he's able to do that. He says he's able to do more than that, more than what we ask or think. And he doesn't just say more than what we ask or think, he says far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So this is Paul's confidence after having prayed this prayer, which is a lofty request, it's a high request, right? To pray that God would give us strength to know the unknowable, and Paul is confident that not only this prayer will be answered but that it will be more than answered it will be more than answered and because of this Paul bursts out into into praise into doxology that even though that even though we ask for something like this and perhaps barely even understand that for which we ask God is able to do that and much more for us as a loving and gracious father to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So Paul praises God for answering prayer and for doing more than that. And then finally Paul also praises God for, for saving his church. And we see this in verse 21 to him be glory in the church, in the church, Of course, we know that the church is one of the main themes of the the book of Ephesians. And here, God highlights that, uh, sorry, Paul highlights that God's glory is shown, is made known in the church. And he praises God for what's happening in the church, which is what he prayed for, right? Which is people by the power, the resurrection power of Christ coming to know the love of God being delivered from sin, being delivered from darkness, God's glory is being shown in the church. And Paul praises him for that, to him be glory in the church. And on this note, I just I just want to say that, that often this is easy to miss, that God's glory is first of all shown in and through the church. Often we we think that the, the real action, so to speak, is happening everywhere else in the world, in whatever politics and media and entertainment, um, in, in business. And sometimes we even think, well, Christians need to spend more efforts there. Like what are we doing huddled up here? Right? The apostle Peter speaks of things that angels long to look into. And what is what is Peter talking about there? He's not talking about. The great, um, the great events of history, as people think of, think of that. No, the, the angels were longing to look into salvation, God saving the church. In other words, we're looking for, for the real action. It's not out there. It's here. It's here. This is where the real action is happening. This is where divine power is being given. That we may enter into an ocean full. An immeasurable, incomprehensible, life-changing love. This is where it happens. And again, for that, Paul praises the Lord. So this is Paul's, Paul's prayer and his praise. So what do we do with this? This message today. Well, how do we how do we respond? The first thing, of course, just to remind you, this is the doctrinal section, and this is the conclusion. And what comes after that in chapter four, which presumably you'll hear next week, is how Paul applies all of this, right? And so Paul will talk about walking worthy of your calling. He'll talk about husbands loving wives and wives submitting to husbands, and and putting on the full armor of God and fighting against the powers of darkness. So of course, that's one way to, to apply this if you, if you read ahead. But more directly, what do we pray for? What do you pray for in your day to day? I know myself, I, I pray for very, very small things. <laughs> and you probably do as well. And of course, there's nothing wrong with praying for really small things. But we are really living below our privileges as the children of God. If we don't ask for this, if we don't ask for for God to empower us to know his love. Because when we have that, perhaps many of the other things that we ask for might not even cross our minds. So let us, with Paul, pray for this. Let this be a common prayer in our lives that we may know the love of God and finally let us let us praise God as well as Paul does here God is doing a great work he's doing it here he's doing it all around the world gathering gathering people into this church that they may know his love so let us always be praising him now I'll I'll end with this this little story there was a man who was captured by the, by the Spanish Inquisition. So for those of you who don't know, the Spanish Inquisition was um, was a group uh, branch of the Roman Catholic Church uh, in Spain, of course, and they, they were notorious for trying to get heretics, capture heretics, which included Protestants, right? Protestant Christians, and trying to get them to recant to get them to go back to, to the Roman Catholic faith. And often they would do this by torture. So there was this man that was captured by the Spanish Inquisition, and presumably he was tortured by them. He was put in a prison cell. And, and he died there. He died there. When, when the armies of, of Napoleon they, they swept into Spain a few centuries later, they found this prison cell, and they found the remains of this man, who seemed to have remained firm, right, in, his, in not, not bowing to the, to the Spanish Inquisition. So they found the remains of his body, but also on the wall of the prison cell. They, they saw that this man drew uh, the, sh- the shape of a cross And then on on each point of the cross, he wrote in Spanish, height, depth, breadth, and length. Now, what am I trying to say here? In a circumstance that most of us cannot even imagine, being tortured like that, being left to rot in the prison cell, What was it that filled this man's mind? What was it that carried him through? The love of God. Knowing the love of God, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length. The the full force of the Spanish Inquisition could not take that away from him. They tried to reduce him to nothing, right? And yet here, here we have power where we truly have power. So let us see this as the most important thing. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this word We thank you that we have come to to the the edges of the infinite. We have gotten a sense of the the grand possibilities of what it means to be your child. Just to know um, little by little, more and more, what it is that you have in your heart towards us. Lord, you have have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless and empty until they find their rest in you. So please, Lord, strengthen us today and in the days to come, that we may be able to know your love in its fullness, that we may be with 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 our tiny little minds, enter into the experience of your love for us, especially shown in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your great love, for for choosing us from the foundation of the world before we ever did a thing. Lord, we often think that we are unloved, that we are unthought of, and we're, we're sorry, Lord, that we forget that you have had us in your mind from, from before the foundation of the world, and that we have no right to think ourselves unloved. We also thank you that while we were dead in our sins, while we were in bondage to the powers of darkness, you saved us not because of anything good in ourselves, but by your grace, according to the riches of your mercy, in love, raising us up with Christ. Lord, help us to live in that resurrection power this coming week as we face various challenges in our workplaces, in our relationships. We know that we can do nothing apart from you. We know that we are empty without you. So please be with us. Please be with us. We need you more than we understand. Thank you for for this time of worship and we ask that you would um, continue to be with us throughout the rest of it and give us good fellowship afterwards. Help us to love one another out of this great ocean of love. In Jesus name we pray.